Creating content is the core of building your authority website. And your ability to do it will make or break your business. But while it may seem like a formality to create great content, there are a lot of nuances that you need to grasp to creating something that really stands out. In this episode, Mark and I will talk about eight common mistakes that prevent many people from reaching their full potential when putting content together. We will also share some personal stories on how we messed up things in our business and practical ways we address them. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey everyone, welcome to this new episode of the Atari Hacker Podcast. Finally, I'm back with Mark and Mark is back from holidays. So you have heard an episode with Mark and I at the beginning of the year, but we recorded before the end of the year. So Mark finally finished his trip around the world and he's finally back in Budapest. How's it going, Mark? I'm still a bit jet lagged, but uh, all good. What time do you wake up at? About 6am, which is actually okay. quite good. I think I'm becoming more of a morning person now. It's something I discovered as well. So I used to be the guy that like literally wakes up at 11 p.m. at some time in my life. I don't know. That's that's the, not an exaggeration. Yeah. That that really happened. And now it's like I actually have like I didn't have it in the last few days because I was sick. But otherwise, I have my alarm at between five and five thirty a.m. every day, and I find it extremely productive because actually, and that's going to go really well with the topic of today because it gives me time to write and create content. And ever since. The end of December, I've never written this much for Atari Hacker in like a long, 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 long time. Uh, you haven't seen it, guys. There's a big blog post coming up soon, and we're going to refer to it a little bit in this podcast because that's probably the most ex- recent experience we've had. But I've also done a lot of work on like updating old content and you know rewriting intros and things like this that just maintain what you're already seeing on the Atari Hacker site. But if you check the published dates, you'll see a lot of them are a lot more recent. That's because a lot of update work has been done, and that's has to do with actually waking up earlier. Uh, usually I do this between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m., I would say. So I spend like two or three hours every every day just doing that before everyone starts working. And then when stuff comes online, then I start like answering questions and doing more like day-to-day work and so on. But it was really hard to squeeze content creation in before, but since I wake up early, it actually helps. So. so let's change the topic to nine mistakes you make when creating content. And uh, that can be tip number one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like it's weird because really I I hated waking up in the morning, but now especially in the winter, it's interesting because it, we're in Budapest and it's quite east in Europe, but Europe all has only one time zone, meaning that the sun comes down really early in the day here in the winter, and you know it's not an exaggeration to say that it comes down at like three thirty, three forty-five at the worst part of the winter. It's not this bad anymore, but it really comes down late. So uh, I also found my motivation is heavily affected by whether there's sunlight outside or not. And so waking up early has actually helped me maximize my daylight during the winter, and that has helped a lot. But anyway, let's switch back to the actual topic of the podcast, which is uh, eight mistakes you make when creating content. And this one is going to be specifically geared towards people that create content themselves. So we're not talking about outsourcing too much here. We're going to talk about involving other people, but in different aspects, not really outsourcing. So let's just jump in right in for the first one. And the first one would be, you don't research your content properly. You don't do the work before you start creating content. And really, I would split this one into three categories. I would say keyword research, which, to be honest, is the one that you're the most likely to do if you're listening to this podcast. I mean, if you're following us, you, you know keyword research is important. I know a lot of 
New people in the industry say that keyword research tools are not very useful. I disagree with them. And I hope we have that debate someday, actually. I'm talking about the income school guys, by the way, Mark. But like, I, to be honest, it'd be fun to have them on the podcast and talk about this. Because I, I personally disagree with their point of view, but they have good arguments too, so that'd be cool. But yeah, you should be doing keyword research for your content. Basically, if you don't do proper keyword research for your content, usually what happens is you put a piece of content out there and you're going to be able to promote it to social media, maybe an email list, whatever. You have to bring people to your content. And you're going to get a decent spike of content at the beginning, and then it's just going to completely fall out flat, and you're going to get zero to two visits per day to that piece of content. And you'll be like, wow, I spent all this time creating this, and it's just not read by anyone anymore. Whereas when you focus on do proper keyword research, meaning not just pick any keyword, but a keyword that you have a chance of ranking for, and you achieve that ranking in Google, then what happens is Google sends new visitors to that piece of content every day, and it keeps on living and it keeps producing new readers for you and, and new things for you and links as well and so on. So I'm not going to do a full keyword research tutorial right now, but what I'm going to say is I'm, I've started updating the Ahrefs review yesterday because I saw that the, the screenshots were really old and stuff. It was not really reflecting Ahrefs. And it's kind of like a topic we should talk about at some point, Mark, but we rank number one for Ahrefs review actually on Atari Hacker. And I'm still taking the risk of updating this content. I know Tim's going to be happy, but we're... We're risking a bit of our rankings here, but it's okay. But anyway, what I'm saying is we will be producing new tutorials around Ahrefs and some keyword research stuff because it's just going to be part of the review. So one thing that I would say in terms of keyword research is make sure you have one main keyword per piece of content. I know most of you guys have done this one. It's probably not the most groundbreaking tip, but for those who don't, and when we started Tori Hacker, we decided not to do keyword research. That is a bad idea. Now I'm going back and fixing everything. The other thing that I think people don't really talk about nearly as much as keyword research is content type research. And this one is, is massively important these days. And basically what this means is that you need to create a content type that's ranking already for your keyword. So and a typical example I would give in the authority system would be, I'm going to take the example of yoga pants, right? So if you type yoga pants, you're going to get mostly e-commerce stores ranking for this keyword. And so if you are an affiliate review site, ranking for yoga pants is possible, but it's quite unlikely. Google has decided that e-commerce stores will rank or e-commerce pages will rank for this query. And most queries will be, you know, an e-commerce, either a category page or a product page. Whereas if you type best yoga pants, then, then you're going to get these roundup reviews and more the kind of stuff that we're producing. And so that's more of a keyword that you should be targeting. And a lot of people don't look at the search results for these things and end up creating content that doesn't match what Google wants to rank. And even though they're targeting a keyword, end up never getting any search traffic for it. You want to say something about this? Yeah, I think there's like another angle to it as well, not just from Google's perspective, but where you see people having like a review, but most of the review ends up being like a how-to or an informational kind of guide. So they're a bit kind of all over the place in terms of what, what they're trying to angle the, the content and whether or not they're trying to sell something. So I think just being clear about what you're doing from that perspective before you start is very important. And as you said, looking at what other people ranking for it is are doing is, uh, is a good way to do that. Yeah, it's quite important. And we can go on and talk about that on the third point in terms of research, which is topic research. So there's really two things that are kind of like opposite, but you need to do to really have a, a shot at doing well with your content. The first one is something that we've done quite a lot, both on Atari Hacker and other sites, uh, including the site that we're going to talk about in the next blog post, which is a site we sold for mid-five figures recently. 
made six figures. Whoops, that was about too much money. You know, I couldn't count it anymore. <laughs> anyway, made six figures. And so the first one was creating original data and tests. So it just feels like most people, especially in affiliate marketing, just rehash the sales page of the product they're promoting. We more and more do not take this approach. We try to actually get our hands on the product. We do tests, the sales claims that the company makes, et cetera, and really try to give kind of a, a real third-party perspective on the products we're talking about in our content so that it really adds value to the internet. And it, it's overall very engaging for the reader as well. And, and the conversion rates are really good when we do this kind of thing. So it's, it's costing more, more money, but the sites end up being more successful and also make it makes getting links a lot easier. When you have original data, then people refer to it, link to you, especially if it's commercial content, then it's super powerful because you can rank for these high commercial value keywords because of your original data, and then you can make a bunch of money. So creating original data is part one of topic research. But the part two is actually to also hit the same subtopics as the pages that rank in Google already. If you're going to be focusing on SEO, then well, it's something that we discussed with uh, Tim Solo from Ahrefs, actually. Uh, we were talking about like content outlining and so on. And he was like, yeah, just Google the, just Google the keyword and I make a list of all the H2s and H3s of all the pages that rank and start my outline from there. And I think that's a, a really good idea. For example, one thing that I've done recently was for our best research tool. It needs some updates still, but one thing that I've noticed is that every single page that rank for that keyword, kind of talked about the Google Keyword Tool Planner and like how it fits into that keyword research tool ecosystem, essentially. And we did not mention it at all. And so I've added a small section on like why we don't recommend using it. And that page went from pretty low. It used to rank high, but when it fell pretty low and went back all the way to top of page two, I think it is now. Uh, so it's almost breaking page one. Just for just a bit of keyword optimization that we'll talk about later, and for uh, start hitting a very important subtopic, which was the Google Keyword Planner. So it is kind of useful to make a list of all the subtopics that you're going to be talking about in your content. And uh, I mean, take everything that your competitors mentioned, essentially. This flows nicely from the first point to the second point. So we talked about doing your research properly. That's the first thing. The second thing or the second mistake that people make is not outlining content. This is just so crucially important. A lot of people will go and research a topic and then load up Google Docs, Word, whatever they're using, and just start writing. Now, I understand why people do that, because they want to feel like they're making progress. They want to see the, the word count on whatever tool they're using increase and feel like they're, they've done something, they've written some content. When you're outlining content, it doesn't count for that. It doesn't you know increase your word count. It doesn't feel like you're making progress necessarily because you haven't actually done anything in terms of what you're putting out there. Now, what it does do though, is it prepares you to write the content much, much better. And I think it, it actually makes it easier. Not only does it increase the quality of the end content, but it makes it much, much easier to write to the point where long and complex articles just are not intimidating. A lot of people, when they're first starting out, you ask them to write a 2,000-word article about a topic which they're sort of familiar with but you know don't know it off the, like the back of their hand, and that can be quite intimidating. And that's why a lot of people fail because they, they kind of get disheartened and like, oh, I, I didn't do anything today. I didn't do anything this week. I, I didn't get the content out there that I, I need to be creating for my site. And outlining it is basically a mechanism to make it super easy to do that. 
it kind of flows on from the research phase, as, as we said. And I think the, the method, I don't know if it was Tim that came up with that originally, but or maybe that influenced it. But we, we teach this in the authority site system as well to look at what competitors are doing. I'm going to claim it. That was mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, whoever came up with that, it's a good process to do. And you can also kind of like dig in further, not just like H1s and H2s, but like down even further, H3 and H4, if if an article, you know, template kind of permits it. So yeah, I mean, the, the number one issue really here is that people don't structure the content. They don't outline the content before they start writing. I, I'm actually going to tell the story of how this came to be, actually. And this comes from my high school. So I used to be in a like, fairly strict private high school where not only would you have class every day from 8.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. with one hour break for lunch, like French education has a lot of classes. But on top of that, you had to come back on Saturday morning to write dissertations every, pretty much every Saturday morning. I think it was like three out of four or something. It was between four and five hours of writing a dissertation for pretty much all my high school. And the way it would work, the way they would structure it is that they would actually not give you, they would only give you, you know, scribbling paper for the first hour and a half. You would not even have the final paper you'd be allowed to write on until an hour and a half in. Why were they doing that? Because they were forcing you to structure your ideas and teachers were forcing that on us. And so... The process was that you have to spend a lot of time planning everything you're going to write. And only in the last two hours, you're supposed to start writing your essay. And it's supposed to be written really fast because everything's outlined perfectly on your scribbling paper. Essentially, I've just taken that process that was forced on me when I was a teenager and we applied it to writing blog posts. And that's where this whole thing comes from, actually. All right. So for any kids out there listening, stay in school. <laughs> yeah. This process of outlining content, we use Dynalist.com. Workflow is another tool that, that we used to use. I think Dynalist is a little bit better. It allows you to do this very easily, move things around, and, and really like see how your article is going to evolve. We use it for the podcast as well, including this one. We're, we're, today, we're literally reading kind of, not all of it, but kind of the, the outline of it from notes. But what it does, it allows you to build a logical order of your arguments and it's very easy. For example, when we were doing this, this podcast was originally seven mistakes you make. And then as we were doing it, it was very obvious that there was a missing point around on-page optimization. So we're like, oh, we have to put this in. Where should it go? Between number five and six, let's put it in there. Okay, fine. We changed the whole thing. It's now eight things, eight mistakes rather. So that really helps you visualize what the article or piece of content podcast in our case is going to look like. And it's, yeah, it's very important for building that logical order. It also helps you to become more familiar with the topic. So if we're just say to write an article, let's say the article was about eight mistakes you make when creating content and just start writing, then you're not going to be as familiar with some of the things that are coming later on. Maybe you have done some research, maybe you've understood a few of the key areas, but if you haven't structured it, you're going to be writing the first part of the article without really knowing in depth the, the, the topic. So structuring raises your general awareness of what you're talking about. It raises your confidence level to make you kind of, yeah, more confident about actually that you know what you're talking about, that you're, you're going to be writing a, a, a good article and it's going to be worthwhile. It's super important from that perspective. It also prompts you as you're going through building out the structure of the in the outline, 
to dig into certain areas more and maybe do go back and do a little bit more research. This is something which I also outlined in the authority site system, like over the shoulder video of me doing this entire process for an article is sped up a little bit and narrate over it. And it, there are many times when I come to something and I'm like, oh, I actually don't know what this is. I'm writing about a, a topic which I'm, I know a little bit about, but I'm not that familiar with. And you see me, you know, going through these loops of like researching certain areas in order to understand the outline. And so when it comes to actually writing the article, it's like super, super easy because I'm, I'm literally just filling in the blanks. I'm not creating a 2000 word article from blank sheet of paper, so to speak, digitally. Instead, I'm kind of writing two 20, 100 word mini sections. And each one of those I've already, I'm already a little bit familiar with and I already know the key things I'm going to say because they're in the outline. And so it's much, much easier to do. It's much less intimidating, especially if you're, if you're kind of new to this. So yeah, this just really makes yeah. writing much, much easier. And what I would also say is that when you think about it, if you just start writing, if you take the just start writing approach, often or most of the time people will start with the intros. The intro is basically you saying what you're going to talk about when you don't know what you're going to talk about if you haven't structured it. So they can be a little bit disjointed if you take the approach of just starting writing. And so that's why I think intros are a lot better. First of all, written at the end after you've written the, the sort of main bulk of the article, but also if you've kind of outlined and structured your, your content, you, you really do know all of the key things you're going to say already because they're in your outline. Yeah, another thing I want to say about Dynamics that I really like is it's bullet points. So you can't really, you shouldn't write sentences. So right now, like when I'm looking at the notes for this podcast, you have like, ah, uh, uh, you are writing a 2000 word article, like writing 10, 20, 100 word mini sections, etc. Like you don't write full sentences. And what it does is it forces you to just put the essence of the information you want to share without the fluff around. And overall, when you do this outlining properly, it's going to cut the fluff in your article a ton. And you'll find that with writers, writers who don't outline fluff a ton and ramble a lot. And I personally hate this in content. And uh, it's something that was heavily punished when I was writing these dissertations as well when I was a kid. And so I've, I've developed a sense for like really killing it. And this outlining process will, if you're a fluffy writer, this will help you a ton. So you should really, really use this system. It's probably one of the highest value points in this whole podcast, even though that sounds quite boring, to be honest. And by the way, shameless self-promo here, but the Authority Site System <laughs> 2.0, which was released a few weeks ago, if you're an existing member, so if you bought our, our course, the Authority Site System, in the last few years, then you actually get free access to this this new updated version. It's it's a completely reshot from scratch, brand new version. And this this point about structuring and outlining, there's a huge, like I think it's about an hour-long video about exactly how to do this. And so you'll also get free access to that. So if you're an existing member, then contact support at authorityhacker.com and they'll upgrade your account for free if you haven't got it already. If you're not an existing member, you can go buy it at authorityhacker.com forward slash system. Cool. Let's jump on the next point, which is uh, you're editing while you're writing. And that's another thing that, that will fall into like the pure writing content creation side of things. But it's something that I was doing it until recently. Like I must say I'm quite good at outlining but in terms of like writing, I am effing slow, like really, really slow. It's really painful. And what that did, what I was doing essentially was I was trying to have the final version as I was writing. So I was just like writing a paragraph or a small section, then kind of going back on it and reading it and trying to 
put together the graphics for it, do everything. And what that did is that made content production extremely slow. I think there's an interesting way to think about this. Like when you have a large team, you don't have one person writing, editing, doing all the imagery and all the other fancy stuff that needs to, to happen. The writer just writes because you know you have a division of responsibility, division of, of role here. So essentially you're kind of having two or three different jobs. You're performing them yourself when you're, when you're doing it all yourself, but you're overlapping those those roles. So if you think about it from a, a broader like team perspective, just make whatever you're doing at the time, just focus on just doing that. If you're writing, just write. If you're editing, just edit. Yeah, and it's it's really helped me. Like uh, that, like the last blog post, I'm quite happy. I managed to write like five thousand words plus finish illustrations, etc. In about you know, seven days of work or something. So it's it's decent for me. I'm not the fastest writer, but it's also if you count all the research and so on, it was all right. But yeah, what happens is when you try to do everything at once is you go slow and then because you go slow you lose your motivation because you lose your motivation you go slower because you go slower you lose more motivation and eventually you end up with a bunch of half-written articles that i have on my google drive i have so many of them because of that so it's something that you need to do just right and we use several tools for like helping us fix things after but really like i just did my first draft in my case and like i literally directly started sending it to people and actually getting other people to do a lot of the editing for me <laughs> i've kind of like crowdsourcing it and, and and i think it helps quite a bit a lot of writers recommend tools which basically is like a blank screen. I, I don't use it myself. I, I, I still use Google Docs, but it, there's no kind of spelling grammar warnings. There's no kind of pop-ups, notifications, no nothing, just literally a blank screen. And it's much more kind of like Zen writing. I think it might be actually be called Zen writer or something, but it's much more kind of like you can just focus on, on writing. There's no other distractions. I've even seen people like take it to, you know, more extreme and like leave their cell phone in the other room while they're writing. So they don't, they're not tempted to check Twitter or Facebook or something and unplug their internet, things like that. Whatever works for you to keep you hundred percent focused on writing, then do that. And as Gail said, be conscious of how your motivation levels are for that and how that's being affected by distractions. Yeah, I mean, my trick was really the waking up early thing. Like, just because nothing happens. There's nobody. Nobody's messaging me on Slack. Like, uh, you know, friends in Asia would message me a bit on Facebook, but I just cut Facebook if I need. And then then that allows me to just write distraction-free. Also, like, you have this kind of, like, clarity when you just wake up. Like, the first task you do in the morning, you have this... Yeah, I have just better clarity. I find, I find it much faster. Like I could, after lunch, I, w- I would be very hard for me to write. That's also dependent on getting enough sleep. If you're naturally like a late, late person, which both of us used to be and go to bed at 4 a.m. or something, if you start getting up early, to begin with, you're not going to be like super focused and you're just going to be tired. It takes a little while because when you get up early, then you start going to bed early and then, then you, you have enough sleep and then you can perform in the morning, so... Yeah, after you're done, like when you're going to get to editing, I think one of the fast, the two tools that you can use to like quickly edit all the really bad stuff are Grammarly. Grammarly is really good. I have the paid version. I really like it as a non-native speaker. And I know a lot of non-native speakers listen to us. And I write in English. I speak in English, etc. Obviously, Grammarly does not fix my speech right now. But if uh, like we're doing YouTube videos now and I'm writing more word-to-word scripts, 
And so it's allowing me to fix that. So Grammarly is really good. And Hemingway app is also quite good to help you make shorter sentences. So I used to be that guy that has like five commas following each other. Probably this uh, dissertation writing style coming back. And it didn't really work for engagement. So I had to write shorter sentences, less complex sentences and so on. And Hemingway app is actually a free tool. I mean, you could, you have a free version of Grammarly too. But both of them are free and they're going to help you declutter all the stuff you're writing really fast. So that's going to, to help you. But you should really not use them as you're writing. You should use them after you're done writing your first draft. That's usually what I do. This plus just sending it to other people that they'll be like, oh my God, that's terrible. What, how, what do you even mean here? Then I don't even have to do it myself. People just tell me what's wrong. <laughs> that's another thing. And then as I'm doing this step, I also start doing images and so on. And we're going to talk about illustrations later. But Usually I actually draw illustrations on paper and take a photo and send it to an illustrator just to illustrate principles and so on. So that's the time where I do that and so on. And that's basically, but in terms of like what to do for the pure writing, what I do now is I finish my outline on Dynalist, then I copy paste it on a Google Doc. I essentially turn the H2s into H2s, the H3s into H3s, I build a structure. And then what I have is I essentially have my, my headline structure and under it, I have bullet points with the points I need to make in that section. Then you just go in that section, you write the section based on the bullet points that are below, you delete the bullet points and you have your section written, you go from section to section and you have an article. So that is how I would go about writing. It's, I cannot make it a lot more practical than you just throw it into Grammarly. Uh, Grammarly has a Google Drive integration now actually, so you don't even need to do that. You just turn it on, on Chrome and then you can also throw your content to Hemingway app to like declutter your sentences and so on and just reread it you know the day after or something and you have a pretty decent flow of writing content much faster even if you're a slow ass writer like me so that is this point you want to do the next one yeah so i actually ironically realized we had the structure a little bit wrong here so i just moved that around on dynalist but that, that's an example of how powerful it is because we did that like literally two seconds before we started talking about this next section which i told it, you to do here <laughs> Well, maybe I just didn't listen. That should be the next point. Then the next one is about writing what we call walls of text style. So this is something you don't want to be doing. Everyone's seen that. Usually you get in a lot of textbooks and kind of academic papers. Maybe if you're reading Gail's old dissertations, you'll you'll see this. It's <laughs> literally just pages and pages and pages of 15, 20 line paragraphs and not much else to break it up. And before you even read the first word, you're looking ahead and you think, oh, shit, this is going to be a tough read just by by the look of it without even reading any of the content itself. And so that same phenomena is very important when it comes to writing content for online purposes, because everyone's heard the statistics about how attention spans are getting less and people decide whether they're going to read things within zero point whatever seconds of landing on the page. Basically people's attention spans are short. You need to capture their attention. You need to keep them engaged. And having a long article that looks difficult to read, looks intimidating, is not the best way to do that. And it's often what new writers do when they just start writing. They have these massive paragraphs and, and not really much kind of in between it. It's also off-putting for people who like to skim read, which I do a lot of. I know others when you're confronted with a 10,000-word blog post and you know you have five minutes in between your lunch break or whatever, you, you're not going to read the whole thing then. So you might just have a quick skim through and kind of your attention will focus on the areas which stand out. And if it's all just massive paragraphs, that's going to be none of it. So you're not really going to get anything from it. 
That's why we recommend to break up your article into subsections with headings. As we've said before, you know, you have an H2 heading for each kind of main section in your from your outline, which is fine. But also in terms of text, you can think of using shorter paragraphs, even shorter sentences. You can have one line paragraphs, all the stuff they, they told you not to do at university, basically. Yeah. It's, it's fine to do in online writing. It's a, it's a lot more casual from that sense. So definitely encourage you to, to do that. Also make use of things like bullet point lists, bolding out certain headings or even words or phrases, which you, you want to draw people's attention to. And they will, as they're skimming it, consume the different content. Their attention will be drawn towards that and they will consume it very quickly as they're, as they're skimming it. And also this being 2019, you also don't just want to have text and bullet points and and whatnot. You want to have this, a website is a multimedia kind of property. You've seen it on Authority Hacker a lot. We have these little custom illustrations, which we use to kind of outline certain processes. In some of our blueprints, we have the whole like workflow thing outlined in Authority Hacker Pro. We use diagrams and charts a lot to to show data. Even if you're not, you don't have an illustrator to to work on things. You can just put a chart in Excel and use the or Google Sheets and use the chart function and copy that image and use that as an image, basically. And this helps to really illustrate data in a, a meaningful way. You see this a lot on specifically on online marketing sites. I don't know why our space is so so prevalent w- with this, but I, I find it's really powerful. Is annotations so annotated screenshots even annotated charts annotated anything basically people use sketch or is sketch the one the tool you use on the mac uh sketch works on mac but we use cloud app now i think we got the AppSumo lifetime thing with it and it's quite good it does what sketch does it's just not tied to Evernote. Yeah, in Windows, if, you, if you're on t- use TechSmith, then Snagit's another one that does that. It lets you take a screenshot and just kind of draw on top of it, annotate it, put some text on top of it. And it's really useful for illustrating things, specifically if you're talking about software. So if we're reviewing Ahrefs and we want to tell someone where to click and we put an arrow to, towards that, it's, it's really powerful. That communicates a lot of information in a very small amount of screen real estate space. Similarly, using videos and and or screencasts, if you want to create your own, then that's great. But also you can embed YouTube videos, almost any YouTube video. Some people prevent you from doing this, but you can embed that within your article. It's free. There's no royalty issues. It helps with engagement and it can help to explain a topic which you don't necessarily want to cover completely in your, your article. Let's say you you have an article about dogs in some way, and you're talking about walking dogs and explaining how to walk a dog. But then you talk about like the leash and the collar, but you don't necessarily want to go into explaining in every detail about how those works or how to choose a good one. You can just find a YouTube video that explains it and embed that in your in your content, and it's going to add a lot of value to your, your your post there. If your audience is more kind of meme focused centric whatever the word is, you can use a lot of animated GIFs. You can create those very easily in uh, the tools which we outlined for the annotated screenshots as well. There's a bunch of free ones on the web as well. Just be really careful if you are using animated GIFs because they can take up a lot of space. Uh, we've had some... Yeah, they, take, they did slow down your page load a lot. You know, actually, I had this discussion the other day that we should literally put a job out for like um, meme specialist or meme analyst. 
and then just tell the press we're hiring a meme analyst and get a bunch of links just for like having such a stupid job. And I think that would work pretty well. All right. Well, we'll get into crazy link building strategies next week. <laughs> In general, having media rich content like this that, that looks appealing and that people can skim read and kind of ascertain that the content is really good from skim reading. It's good just from a user's perspective. It's also very good from a link building perspective. If you're outreaching to someone and asking them to link to your content, they're usually going to look at your content first and kind of make a quick guess. They're never going to read the whole thing because they're busy and they don't really have time for that. At least most people don't. So they're going to make a very quick judgment by you know, spending 10, 20, 30 seconds scanning your, your post. And having these elements will help them to have a more favorable opinion about your content. I want to say as well that creating this kind of content, like you need to create a new content creation workflow for images, for videos, for all these things. It does take an extra process. However, you can use this content to grow social interest. So if you're going to be creating good images, then you can start getting on Instagram. And most importantly, you can get on Pinterest. Pinterest is probably the social network that drives the most traffic to your website. It's not the biggest social network, but it's the one that will send you the most traffic. Right, if you're doing videos, then you can get on YouTube, you can get on Facebook, you can get on Instagram, and so on. And one thing that we've seen is that more and more high social engagement on one platform, if you're really, really strong, on one social media, then your rankings are going to, to follow. I mean, it's like we have a site that literally just gets all of its traffic from Pinterest or used to, and just from the success on Pinterest, now ranks for massive keywords on Google, despite the fact that there was no keyword research done, there was no link building done, there was nothing, and ranks for keywords was tens of thousands of searches per month now, just because the Pinterest is crazy. We're talking hundreds of thousands of shares and so on, like really, really high engagement on Pinterest. And as a result, it helps. So even if you're like, oh, I don't really care about Pinterest, or I don't really care about YouTube or whatever, it works really well. I think another good example for that is a WP Crafter. They're a cool YouTube channel. If you want to learn stuff about WordPress and Elementor and all that stuff, uh, you should check them out. They do really cool content. And they're really strong on YouTube. Lots of followers, lots of likes, lots of everything and so on. The site... Eh, the reviews and so on, the, I'd say, I'd say the, the comments are a bit thin here. But because YouTube's so strong, they rank really well, for example. So another good example of, of a site that essentially uses its social engagement to do really well on Google itself. And also the videos rank on Google on the search with the video snippets. So all I want to say is that uh, not only you will raise the engagement on your website, but you're actually probably helping your rankings in the first place by creating this extra content or this new medium type content and getting traffic from these platforms as well. So it's, it's kind of worth it. We are definitely going to look very deeply into YouTube this year. Pinterest, we've kind of refigured out a lot of stuff. I need to update the blueprint on HPro, probably going to come this year. It's quite powerful and, and not just the fact of adding images on your blog post, but really it's going to develop new content channels for you and help your SEO in terms of number of visits. So it's quite important. I'll take the next point. Uh, which is you don't optimize your content properly. So it's all nice and cool to create and plan and structure and write and edit and do all this stuff like we've talked about so far. But at uh, end of the day, you need to also pay attention to what search engines want. And for a long time, we ignored that. It's like It's something that I really woke up to when we went to these conferences in Asia in October last year. Like, it's like, uh, we're really strong at link building. We're really good at it. But the on-page stuff has been kind of like not worked on just because we relied so much on how good we are at link building to do well. And we did well. However, then I realized that a lot of people kind of like 
looked more at the on-page stuff and had all these little tips and tricks and things that, to be honest, I overlooked because I was like, well, we're doing well. I don't know why we need to look at this. And I was like also in more and more in a school of thoughts of like, Google's just going to figure it out, which is not true. Google does not figure it out. I have been doing a lot of on-page stuff in the past two months and and it's it's hilarious how small changes can make a massive massive difference to how you rank despite the content being basically the same for humans for that matter atari hacker is up 70 percent organic traffic months on months right now just because i've applied some of these little things so i'm going to mention some of them that you should definitely be looking at one i would say Schema data. Schema data is actually quite important. One simple change that I'll mention here, and I'll probably make a public tutorial on this that can be done is I've changed the schema data from showing the publish date on some posts that were really old, like old, like 2015, et cetera, to the last updated date. So when I was updating content, essentially the date updates on the front end of WordPress, you can see that on Notary Hacker now, it doesn't say publish date, it says last update date. And the schema data reflects that. As soon as I changed that, all our rankings just jumped up like crazy. Uh, so like uh, it's same content, um, all slightly updated, but not a lot of difference. And yet, you know, very often two, three times more traffic on the same pages. Second thing is not keyword density, but TFIDF. I, and it's funny because my DKT released a blog post about this, but we've done similar tests on our end in around the same time frame. Uh, I've tested a lot of on-page tools. And the one that got the most consistent results for me was actually Website Auditor and the TFIDF Editor and uh, just their on-page advice in general. I consistently got higher rankings applying what they did and I figured out like all these small things that we didn't care about actually mattered. And so essentially the way it works is you scan your page with Website Auditor and it just says, hey, you should use this. Like it gets the top 10 results in Google rather and it finds like all the most commonly used words in this page, not just related to the keyword you're typing, just any words that are commonly used. And the IDF part of the TFIDF essentially removes very common words like and, the, a, etc. like all the very, very, very common names. So it's going to essentially identify all the topic-specific words used in this page. And it's going to tell you how you fare compared to the top ranking pages. So it's going to tell you, well, you need to add this keyword on the page. You need to use it more. You need to use it less. You need to remove this, etc. Essentially, it's just going to tell you what to do. And as you follow these things, like you will see your rankings go up. So this, and also another thing that I've worked on quite a bit is uh, the meta title optimization and making meta title and meta description more clickbaity. Same thing, massive click-through rate optimization increase when you actually make something that's a little bit teasy, when you put the year in the title tag, when you tease tips and tricks and do that kind of stuff, you get a massive increase in clicks rate and the time on page doesn't really decrease that much. Once people are on the page, they just read it. Yeah, these are the kind of tips that you need to apply after you're done your content. You need to create a content, create it for the user, make something that's great, still targeting your keywords and so on. But then after that, you kind of need to add that extra layer of this is just for search engines. And it's not going to change the experience massively for the user, but it's going to get you a lot more traffic to your page. I'll probably do an on-page blueprint this year as well because I've done all these tests and so on. And it's quite ridiculous, the results you can get. So that's basically, you need to spend some time conscientiously, I'm really struggling here, updating your content just for search engines. I think the next point is around not having, we mentioned this before, like not having other people read your content before publishing it so that's like kind of writing it in isolation and just 
throwing it up there. It's something which I totally get why people, why so many people do it because once you've written an article, especially like a long one that's taking you, you know, many days or weeks even, what, as soon as you finish it and it's it's done, the, in, the inclination is like, oh God, I just want to like, I never want to see that piece of content again. I just let's put it up there and let's get it, get it done with and move on to the next one. But that's really only half the battle at that point. You want to have other opinion because you've been so focused, because you've been so like in the content itself, you don't have that like external view and having someone, even if it's just like your mom or someone who doesn't know the topic at all, or doesn't really understand what you're doing, just having someone else have a once over of the content can outline and can throw up all sorts of interesting things, which you didn't notice because you're, you're so, so close to it. Now, another way, if you, if you do have an editor, this is essentially what the editor will be will be doing. So it kind of solves this issue. But if you're writing it yourself, most likely it's just you and you don't have a big team. So just ask a friend, ask someone in your mastermind group, ask your mom, ask just literally anybody who speaks English, if you're writing in English, and they'll be able to, to give you some interesting insights. It's, it's well worth doing. And it will also often throw up things which you do wrong with your writing which you you don't pick up that can be if you're gail using five commas in a sentence people will will call you out on on those things like why are you doing this every paragraph and then it can kind of build that interesting feedback loop that you can use to just improve your overall writing style not topic specific stuff yeah although i have been spell checking you lately too so i don't feel too bad about it and it's a it's a valid thing to do like i have definitely spelling and grammar is not my strong point i'm just better at it in English because it's my first language, my only language. It's not a huge issue. Yeah. And it's something that like non-native speakers struggle with. I mean, we get that question a lot, right? That's kind of where I brought it up because like we get that question a lot from like non-native speakers, just not confident in English enough. But I do find that the Anglo-Saxon culture is very tolerant to mistakes anyway, way more than the French culture at least. And that you guys are used to deal with foreigners that don't speak the language perfectly. It's not something that you should be massively conscious about, but... I think also what I like when I show my content to other people is to ask them what I did not mention that they wish I mentioned. So I'm like, hey, like I'm sending this post right now to several people. I'm like, hey, what's missing in there? Like, what would you like to know that's not in there? And I tell people to send me like three questions. And that allows me to essentially enrich the content and make more precisions where there is interest. And Doing that with several people is going to make your content feel way more comprehensive because you have collected like 30 questions. Some of them will be the same, but that allow you to go deeper and give the insight that hopefully your readers will want to hear about as well. So that's a good way to expand your content. In terms of how to do that, use Google Docs. Some people, for whatever reason, don't like using Google Docs. They prefer Word, maybe just because they're brought up on it or... Whatever the reason is, Word's a terrible way of like collaborating with people on, on, on stuff like this. You know, send them a file, they they save it, send it back and track changes. Like, no. Use Google Docs and people can comment. You it's just much better for, for doing this. Even if you write it normally in Word and then just copy paste it into Google Docs when you're you're doing this collaboration feedback part, it's very important. Plus it's free. Like it's not even a money thing. And hopefully you have a Google account. So yeah, you should. I recommend Google yeah. Docs. I, I like it better than Office in ninety percent of cases. And, and if you have absolutely no friends or family, or like it's not possible for whatever reason to 
ask someone else to to review what then you send it to mark then no don't send it to me <laughs> then what to do is to read it to yourself aloud so don't just read it but like speak it and often when you do that you will find all sorts of like horrendous mistakes you've made in your sentence structure or words you've written incorrectly you've written another word instead of this one so the spell checker doesn't doesn't pick it up that unearths so many interesting things that and it also kind of forces you to consume it as a another person would so yeah it's a good way of kind of checking your own work there if you're you don't have someone else to to do it for you cool let's jump on the next point which is you don't promote your content i know brandon talks a lot about promoting content and he's right it's very interesting not promoting your content kind of works especially for like low competition keywords or support content or something that's not really trying to rank for something competitive. However, there is something magical about having an initial burst of content to a piece of content you want to rank on Google. Nobody can really explain it. I mean, even Matt Digity says like, oh, you need to get traffic, then you get social, then you get links, then you rank. That's essentially the logic he follows. And same, it's like when you have people like Brian Dean saying that you should do this content tool thing like Rockstar tools, I can't remember exactly the, the term he, he came up with, but essentially just promoting it. But there's something magical about having a burst of traffic to your content and then having it rank. And I, I know like Team Solo from Ahrefs always brags about how their content ranks super fast, etc. And I guarantee you that this has a lot of correlation with the fact that they promote their content in-app, they send an email, they do retargeting to their content, they do all that stuff. So developing return channels to send the people that have been on your site before on your content, for a reason that I cannot explain exactly, does help it do better long-term. And so the tactic here is really just to develop return channels so that you can send traffic to that content. So it can be as simple as posting it on your Facebook profile or, or you know, on Twitter or whatever, if you have some following, some friends, some family, if you're just getting started. Or you can do things like um, set up push notifications on your website. So like OneSignal is a free push notification system that you can sign up for. They have a WordPress plugin. It's very easy to set up. Then you can just send a push notification when you have a new piece of content and that gets, you know, a couple of hundred visitors to that piece of content. And for some reason, it helps it take off, take off in Google, especially because push notifications are based for the most part on a Google API, a Google Developer API. So Google actually has full view on what's going on here. I know that we do that on the Pinterest site I mentioned before, and that works pretty well. Building an email list, so like, you know, having opt-in pop-ups. You know, most tools, you can do opt-in pop-ups for free with SumoMe, for example. Elementor Pro is adding, uh, adding pop-ups in the next version. If you have a Strive membership, you can also do that. There's a lot of ways to do pop-ups for not expensive. And it can be as simple as just sign up for our newsletter. You won't get a high conversion rate, but for those who sign up, they will be interested in receiving your email. We do a lot of retargeting. We do Facebook ads a lot, and retargeting works really well for us to send hundreds of clicks to new pieces of content, and that gets the content that we push do better in search. Don't ask me why. So I think overall just working on all these return channels, which there is many now, it's not just email list, is going to be really helping you push that con new content. What's the on. hypothesis here? Is it that having actual engagement from people followed by links equals a worthwhile article in Google's eyes? Or is it like actually that, that some of this return channel traffic at generates actual links and those links then subsequently help you like what, what's the kind of theory? it's hard to tell i don't think it's the links because like many times like uh, i mean on that pinterest i am mentioning like it never gets links from that promotion you know like almost mm -hmm. never but 
it's just this con like if you did like if you do a test of like and i'm sure like it would be an interesting test for like someone like hrefs to do because they have a large reach with the return channels you know because they do like in-app pushes etc to see what happens to blog posts that they don't push uh, through their channels versus what generally happens to a blog post that they push through their channel but I think it's just like Google has a decent vision of what's happening between, as I said, the push APIs, Android, Chrome, analytics, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like I had this discussion with Mark Jenner, who is like a member of uh, Atari Hacker Pro, like a prominent member, senior member of Atari Hacker Pro, who answers a lot of questions for members. And he was like, oh, yeah, like uh, my, my theory is always that Google likes to push sites that are popular, not sites popular, you know? And so if you can show a little bit of that, which, you know, 99% of sites don't have, they don't have return channels figured out. So if you can do that better than like most people, which is even just push notifications, that's like the lowest hanging fruit. Then for some reason it works better. Like I have yet to meet someone that would explain to me why it works better with like a convincing answer. Like some people would just come with really a personal interpretation more than something that can be defended in court, but, but it does. And, and so working on content promotion even if it's not something fancy you know one thing that works really well as well for return channels that i haven't mentioned here it's uh, facebook groups creating a facebook group in your niche is actually a really good idea when you see people in our industry and in other industries like i'm looking at like kevin espiritu from other hacker pro for example who runs his gardening site and has this huge gardening community on facebook he drives like hundreds and hundreds of clicks to his new content just publishing it on a Facebook group that is super engaged because people just talk to each other. So yeah, building these kind of return channels will help you promote content, will help you get traffic, will help you get loyal followers as well so that you can consider things like selling courses and so on or selling you know physical products or whatever you want to sell to this audience will help you rank and do better in Google as well. And it will get you comments, it will get you social shares, it will get you all of that, and that's going to help. So yeah, promoting your content and just overall building the infrastructure for your site to promote your content is something that the earlier you do it, the more it compounds as well, because these things just add up. Even if you get two subscribers to your email list per day, after a year and four months, you have a thousand subscribers. So it just adds up. So yeah, that's basically... What I would do. Do you want to do the next point? Sure. So the the last point is around not updating your your content when you should. If you're brand new and you you know just published your first few blog posts, you probably don't have to worry about this yet. But if you've been going for even a year or, or more, then what can happen a lot, and some niches are more are worse for it than others. Online marketing because. Is, is pretty bad for it because a lot of software tools update, a lot of tactics update very quickly, um, even within a few months. Uh, so you have to go back and kind of update your content to, to reflect that. We did not do that very well or in a very timely fashion. So that's why there there are, we, we've started fixing quite a few of them, but there still are quite a few on our, our site on Authority Hacker where, you know, there's a two-year-old article about how to use, and Keyword Finder was the one that was particularly bad that got outdated particularly quickly. And the article still ranks, ironically, but it doesn't, it, it's not updated. It doesn't work. You can't really follow the tactics in there very well because it's, it's outdated. So it, having a process, having a mechanism to actually go back and update these is is really important. Identifying which ones you need to do that is 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 the start. We like to have a content master, master list, master databases, so it's like all our content on a Google sheet. Um, so it makes it easier to kind of go through and assess or categorize them in, in different ways and like which ones do we need to, to update. 
it sounds super basic, but just having that it is like the first step to, to staying on top of this. If you just leave everything in WordPress, just by the way the information is displayed there, it's very easy to just forget about thing, forget about content, and it can kind of get lost there, and you can lose lose track of it to to a certain extent. And some of the ranking gains have been pretty significant. When I mean, Gail's been going back and updating some of his content authority hacker. But did you want to talk about the results for that? Yeah, I mean, like, it's so much faster than, like, new content. New content, you have no links, etc. Many of these pages, you will have some links if you've promoted them in the past and so on. So really, if you're doing a good job, it's just your content that's missing. The links are here already. And so as a result, updating some pages have it resulted to, like, up to three times more traffic almost overnight. And so it's a much more short-term gains from SEO, which is rare. It's very rare to get short-term gains from SEO. Than producing new content, it's also less resources. It, it it's hard. It's like updating content is hard because you need to get back into it. You need to get back into a topic. You need to do all of that. That's why now we do all these things like storing all these dynamics, brainstorms, etc. We haven't done it always in the past, but it's hard to get back in. It's gonna take a few hours to get back in this content, re-research, we like outline what's outdated, what's not outdated, and so on. And I think we should just work on a process for that. That's a bit more defined. What process do you use to define which articles to update? Which articles to update? It's mostly like the progression of traffic over time. Like usually, like there's content that just ranks well, and then as content gets outdated, you know, traffic decreases over time. And so, like you identify that, oh, you just find the pages that rank for between position five and position thirty for a good keyword. But what is important to do as well when you update content is to make sure you can still rank for this keyword because the subs might have changed massively from the time at which you decided it was a good idea to write about this keyword. And sometimes it's just going to be like super competitive and you'll be like, well, it's just not worth it because I'm not going to get top five for this keyword, no chance. So you just give it up and, and it's okay to do that. It's better to focus on something else instead. But then once you have that, you just put it in Google Drive to just copy-paste the content in Google Drive, and you just highlight everything that's outdated, and you just make a comment outdated, you know? So you get, an, like you get a, visual, a visual indicator from the highlights of like what it is not usable anymore. And you can, I like to call it like a light rework or a full rework. A light rework means keeping the structure the same, but just updating the content in the paragraphs. And a full rework means basically rewriting the whole thing, reworking the structure, et cetera, if the changes are too heavy, you know? Yeah, based on that, you do that, and then you just follow the content creation process like, like we do for any other piece of content. So once you've done that, then you publish the results, and you go in Webmaster's console, and you submit the URL, you ask for a recrawl, and usually within 24 hours, you get updates in rankings. That's super gratifying for SEO because usually when you publish a piece of content, it can take several months for this piece of content to start ranking. But that's really not the case here. Like in literally a few days, you'll see ranking jumps, especially if you apply new things like TFIDF to it, better internal linking, do all these other things. You will see it's going to be very positive on your analytics. And that's how we managed to, we're about 70% higher in organic traffic months on months on authority hacker right now because we've been working mostly on that. And that is way more than if we publish new content. There is new content coming, don't worry. But if you want to make pure gains of traffic on your site, it's the lowest hanging fruit. So I guess that was the last point, Mark. Any final words of wisdom? Get up early tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, do it progressively. Like, Don't try to wake up at 5 a.m. right away. But yeah, that's basically it. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe, 
And to drop us a review on iTunes or anywhere where you're listening to this podcast, it helps us get a bit more visibility for it. It just motivates us to do more of them. So thank you for listening. We hope you have a good week and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.